Good afternoon. On Tuesday and Thursday, I asked the Sangha to think about why they were standing at the practice line. In other words, what are you here for? Because if you don't know why you're here, you don't get anything. You just come and leave. So, did you do that? Who did that? One person. Two people. Okay. All right. What was the question? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The, The question very simply is, why are you here? You know, to ask yourself that question. Why am I practicing? Why am I standing at the foul line? Why am I practicing? Because if we don't know why we're practicing, we don't know what to practice. Okay. And two people. Oh. Oh, okay. Fantastic. That's great. That's great. Because as we indicated, the practice is easy. But what's complicated is finding out the blend that each individual needs to mix for themselves, the prescription that makes it work for them. I talk a lot about being a recovering Catholic. And what I realized was I just didn't understand what what that system was telling me. Wasn't you know, and I knew that the system wasn't in and of itself corrupt. I'm not talking about priests now. I'm talking about the system. And I saw people who obviously benefited from practicing the system. But I couldn't get it. I couldn't make it work for me. That's what I mean. I couldn't make it work for me because I didn't understand what they were telling me. Now, when we think about Christian theology, most often... We hear phrases like, let go and let God. Take your problems to the altar. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. All they're telling you is putting your stuff down. That's what they're telling you. Whether you leave it at the foot of Jesus or whether you leave it at the altar, or whether you lay it down, You are renouncing it. You are abandoning it. You are giving it up. And when you give up your problem, when you let it go, your suffering ends. And that's what the Buddha taught taught us 2,700 years ago. When you lay your problem down, your suffering ends. So in Christian theology, it says when you lay it at the altar, when you lay it, give it to God, when you let go and let God, when you lay it at the foot of Jesus, your suffering will end. Well, it's not that you laid it at the foot of anybody. It's that you let it go. But if you don't understand that, it doesn't work for you. See, because I didn't hear in my Christian education that when I let it go, when I went to confessional on Saturday, that when I came out of that confessional, I was no longer a sinner. 
See, when you let it go, you don't have it anymore. But it, when I came out, I still believed I was the same person I went in as. That I just talked to the priest. So I kept with me the same things that caused me to make my mistakes. So I never got better because I didn't understand my practice. I didn't understand why I was there. I didn't know. So for those who did not investigate their minds in that way, now you understand why you should. Because until you understand why you are practicing, you will never benefit from the practice. Everyone can become enlightened. It's easy. But it isn't easy until it's easy. We talked about tying our shoe. How easy it is to tie our shoe. But until we learned it was easy to tie our shoe, it wasn't easy. Everything is Dharma. Tying our shoes is Dharma. Questions? You were asked to read Sutta 15 and Sutta 16. Who did that? Okay, Majima Nakata. Okay, so who studied the suttas? Mark? I had the same experience that Heather had that uh, Venerable Paniawati said, read uh, 15 and 16, um, uh, on voidness, and as I read it, I wasn't sure I was reading the right thing because it didn't, I don't know. It no, didn't it wasn't seem, on voidness. Huh? It wasn't on voidness. Oh, then I misunderstood. explains everything. Inference and the wilderness of the heart and distracting thoughts. Okay. So I did read the right thing, but I misunderstood why I was reading it. <laughs> Never mind. Why am I shooting the foul shot? See, I mean, that's the point. And so we're here to exchange. We're here to ask questions, to get clarity, to always be positive in clarity, whether it's because we are evolving in our understanding of what is presented or whether it's because we are evolving in our relationship with everything else. It's about clarity. It's about being awake, about being aware, about being here. Yeah? Okay. So for any of you who know that you're standing at the beginning of the gate, at the, at the gate of practice, and you know why you're there, and it still isn't working, then here's something to consider. In Sutta 16, the wilderness of the, heat of the heart, the Buddha said, any disciple, any bhikkhu, and In his teachings, he used the term bhikkhu, but he was referring to both monastics and lay because they were all a part of the sangha. And he says, any bhikkhu, any disciple 
any layperson who is endeavoring to understand a practice, if you have not abandoned these things, these shackles, that you should come to growth, increase, and fulfillment in this Dharma and discipline is impossible. See, so he's telling you right up front some of the things that you have to investigate and let go of in order to receive the unction, in order to receive the clarity. There's some things that you have to let go of. And it says, what you have to let go of is doubt, uncertainty, being undecided, and unconfident about the teacher, about the teaching, about the sangha, or the training, in the training. And it says the fifth one is if you are angry and displeased with your companions, with your sangha members, with your community, with the world. You will not be inclined, your mind, see, now he's telling you something here. He's saying that in order to get this, you have to have a clarity and a certainty and a confidence, no doubt. But your mind also has to incline toward the teaching. And the way it inclines toward the teaching is that it inclines towards ardor, devotion, perseverance, and striving. So if you come here and you hear one of the teachers, whoever they might be sitting up here, suggest to you that you should go and read this or think about this or practice this, and you go away and come back next week, without doing those things, then it's not the fault of the practice. It's not the, the impetus of the practice that's your problem. It's that you don't have order, perseverance, and that's something that you have to abandon from within yourself. You've got to find those little things, those little things that, that keep us from success. And they're different for everybody. For most of us, there's a, there's a problem we bring to the table. There's a problem we bring to school for most of us. And that is we grew up denying the wisdom of anybody but our parents. In other words, what we, the attitude we had was, you can't tell me anything because you're not my father. Or you're not my mother. So we, we developed that arrogance that you're not wise enough because you're not my father or you're not my mother to tell me what to do. Now that carries over into something else because what that implies to me when I attach to that arrogance is that any stranger, anyone who is not a part of my family is not qualified to guide me. So now, if I don't think the neighbor can tell me what to do, then I certainly can't think that a foreigner, a stranger, someone who doesn't look like me, can tell me what to do. Now, I don't think that while I'm listening, but the subconscious is forming a barrier around the message 
because it doesn't like the messenger. So when you're hearing it and you can't utilize it, you seem to be frozen in your application of the practice. That you can sit there and say, it sounds good to me. I see it working for the other, but I just can't make myself do it. You have to really go inside and examine your resistance to the message. Because it's not about the messenger. In other words, anyone can teach us. It's the message. So these are the things I want you to work on. Purging from within what it is that's a barrier to the message that says this thing called enlightenment is easy to do. And how many times have you had a complex problem, a knot that you couldn't untangle, a situation that you couldn't understand, and someone would say to you, well, all you got to do is do this. And you go, oh, crap. <laughs> and then there's no more puzzle. There's no more knot. There's no more confusion. There's no more resistance. Because now you saw, you knew, you understood, you were aware how easy it was. That's it. Beware of the, the ones who come and tell you that enlightenment is difficult to achieve. The Buddha said, all you have to do is get into the stream. And the stream will carry you to enlightenment. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to struggle. You just have to get into the stream. So we just have to get right. We just have to get the right frame of mind, the right polarization of our energy to align, to become in harmony with the message. <coughs> and the message will carry us. It'll be clear. You will look at things and say, oh, I understand how to work with this. I understand how to untie this knot. I understand how to have this relationship. I understand how to treat this person. That's enlightenment. If there are no questions or no comments, no rebuttals, do you have a question or comment or no. rebuttal? Yes. Oh, oh, let's, let's let David catch up with us. For myself, does this work? For myself, um, For a while, I uh, for a good while, I um, figured I'll just absorb this through the process of osmosis, and that is extremely slow. <laughs> and I noticed that, and so uh, you know, innately the question comes up to me: uh, Oh, it's good to be coming here. I would always get a yes, and 
So I decided to, uh, should I say, get into the power of intention more. Mm -hmm. This uh, psychologist, uh, was his name, he passed away, Dwayne Dyer, he wrote a book on it, The Power of Intention. Mm -hmm. So did uh, the Buddha. Pardon? (laughs) No, go ahead. (laughs) So did the Buddha, yeah. So, um, one day, I actually realized that um, I don't have to uh, be watching my breath Mm -hmm. for my thoughts to go away. Mm -hmm. I can just kind of, you know, I can't explain it really. But I can now, my thoughts don't invade me when I'm meditating. Okay. So, for me, that's been something. For most people, that would be a tremendous achievement. For a long time, they invaded me. Oh, for a long time, they bothered (laughs) all of us. Yeah. But I think the power of intention, so to speak, that really helped. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, Deepa, I'm happy to say we're on the same page exactly, because that's what I was trying to say Thursday. Okay. That the motivators are, you're using the word subconscious, I'm saying unconscious. Okay. And that's what you need to get in touch with to be aware. Okay. To make changes in your behavior. So, okay. I'm glad. Any idea if the Buddha had a concept of the unconscious, what do you think? Of the stuff underneath. I'm curious. Well, when we talk about the unconscious and the subconscious being synonymous, then we're talking about mindfulness, right? Remember what what we're talking about is existing in the noumenal, or this place before conceptualization occurs, before definement occurs, the place before conversation occurs. Before thinking occurs, that's pure consciousness. Pure consciousness envelops and includes every concept of consciousness that you can consider. Because every concept of of consciousness that you can consider or define comes out of the total, which is just pure consciousness. I can't have unconsciousness or subconsciousness when I don't have consciousness. Okay. I know what you're saying. Okay. Yeah? Okay. It's just all the same stuff. We, we, just, we just make it complicated. <laughs> um, an insight that I got that this lesson, your Dharma talk, started this morning for me in the kitchen. And uh, I had a jar that we reuse our, our jars in the kitchen, and I was had made my latte in this jar. And I was visiting with some of uh, my friends over the kitchen table, and I was, as I was talking, I was trying to untwist the lid off of the jar so that I could take a sip of the coffee. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't get it. It was like it was tight on there. And then I looked down at the jar. I had never put the lid on the jar. There was no lid on the jar. And yet, I was not in a place of discernment and clarity about that. I was scattered out into the world in another place. And it, as you were speaking, that vision came to me. And the, how much do I struggle with trying to remove something in life that isn't even there? And, and so, yeah, this is very, thank you very much for where you're pointing. Being awake, right? Right, absolutely. Just being awake in this moment and not covering over what's true here and now with my own scattered wherever I was. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah we get those glimpses. And the the message is that we can have those glimpses every moment. You know, we think about miracles 
as scarcities, as things that come by once in a lifetime. But miracles occur every moment, every day. But <laughs> you got to be able to see them, you know. <laughs> you got to be awake. You got to be aware. If you're looking over here, you don't see the miracles. <laughs> so, be awake to the miracle. Life is great. Yeah. Okay, anyone else? Yes, yes, Jeff. Uh, foul shots was uh, an actual literal experience for quite a long period of my life. And um, never got to what was the heart of the matter of me shooting thousands of foul shots. And um, self-mastery came to mind. And then other times it was what's actually occurring for this ball to go through that hoop. So it was a shooting without a shooter. Um, feedback on my understanding and uh, as well as when it actually didn't go in that experience and uh, I got up to 96 out of 100 and so one thing is the self-mastery yet do you have to have 100 out of 100 to have perfection? Did you ever ask yourself why you were there in the first place? The, the self-mastery was the, the word, but no, it never... No. And then the practical no, no, thing... No, no. Hold, so, on, hold on, So yes. Hold on, hold on. Listen to what I'm asking you. Did you ever ask yourself why you were at the foul line in the first place? Yes. You did? Why were you there? You said self-mastery. Yes. But why were you there to attain self-mastery? You were there to attain self-mastery because you wanted to be able to step up at the foul line in the game and make the shot. That was there as well. Okay, so now that's another layer mm -hmm. of going to the foul line, right? So then getting to the foul line in the game... <laughs> requires either what? Intentional fouling or unintentional fouling. Yes. Right? So there's still these refinements as to why I'm at the line in the first place. Mm. Right? But this is Dharma. Right. Because once I understand intentional fouling, I understand I was intentionally fouled because they thought I was a poor foul shooter, right? So now how can I fix that? Well, I can get mad at them for doing that, or I can learn to shoot foul shots better, because then I take the reward out of their intention. We, we, the, the charity stripe. Yeah. Or the free, actually, free yeah. throws. Yeah. So then I learned another refinement in that whole thing about foul shots. That in life, there are people who will intentionally foul me. Yes. They will lie about me. They will slander me. They will disrespect me. There are some who will just become amused because they've upset my day. Yes. And the way that I can stop them from doing that is threatening them, arguing with them, fighting them. But that never works, does it? No. But what I can do is take the reward out of their efforts and their intention. See, because their reward is me getting upset. Yes. Yeah? And when they foul me and I make the shot, I don't get upset. I don't get angry. I don't get bothered. I don't lose my peace. Mm 
I don't lose my position. I don't lose my intention. Then they stop. Because there's no fun in it anymore. There's no fun. <laughs> Look at everything like that. Everything has layers, and everything has something to teach us. Thank you, John. Anyone else? So in this um this condition that's referred to as enlightenment I see it helpful to recognize that the Buddha said truly I have attained nothing from complete and unexcelled enlightenment that there is nothing to be gained. That this is a process of removal. That that which is perceiving these words is non-different from the Buddha nature. And truly there is only one perceiving right now. If I move into this with the idea that I'm supposed to gain something, attain something, acquire some new understanding, then I submit and dive into the sea of samsara, karmic bondage. but with the clear recognition that what appears to be the case may not be. And the right action and effort to see things as they are, then there can be the recognition that our innate perfection is not something that has ever come nor will ever leave. Okay, now what you're teaching on is ultimate truth. And before we attain ultimate truth, we have to, to, to work with and understand conventional reality. So I agree with you that ultimately there is no one to become enlightened. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyone else? Maybe can you translate a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are two levels of awareness. There's conventional and ultimate. And ultimately, there is no one to become enlightened. So there's, and there's no event of enlightenment or unenlightenment because there's no duality. But to wrap your mind around that, you can't intellectualize it. You've got to be there with it. And so there's no point in talking about that. You know, for most people in Hendersonville, they're struggling with being pissed off in their day. And that's what we're here to help people do, to end their suffering, so that then they can become aware that there's really nothing to do. Um, I didn't mean to present something that seemed... You, you, you're not, that's not a problem. 
We're, we're all here to exchange. But, but we're not all here to teach. Right. I understand. <laughs> if we need to go get our own sanghas to teach. Mm. All right. Okay. Thank you. Um, it, I, I love that because I'm right in that verge. I'm in that sp- in and out of that space of non-duality. Yeah. And and I I appreciate what you pointed to there in the uh, that it, it really the duality thing doesn't really exist. It doesn't. And and that is a great great freedom when we shift out of that one. I, and I, the way I I see it these days is that. My selfing, when there's a self on board, it's like a veil over that light that uh, was pointed towards that oneness. And, and it's just a matter of removing these veils, which is what you're helping us do, one veil at a time, lifting those veils off. Thank you so much, Deepa, for the guidance getting from one place to the next. There really I'm is feeling no oneness it. either. Yeah. I'm there really that. is no oneness. Right? But, but right, yeah. At the ultimate level, right. Because that would require something to be one or two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is so cool. It it's is cool. It's cool, cool what we're working towards here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Okay, and I'll have to ask David, how do I blow my nose with this thing? <laughs> How However you would like. I will uh, take care of it. <laughs> Follow your inner wisdom. <laughs> or keep it, you know. It, uh, <laughs> okay. It could be a miracle in there. Yeah. If there's nothing else that you understand and take away, it's this. That the practice is fun. You know, the people that you see that get all serious and rigid and tense and insisting. The happy ones. You know. That's what we can all become. So don't get too serious about it. Don't get too too rigid. Don't get too enlightened. <laughs> yeah, because you get all inflexible. It's truly good news. It's truly liberating. And when and when you remove all of that stuff. You know, you feel light, enlightened. You know, you just, when you take all of your crap off of you, you float. You walk on water. Let's meditate.
Thank you. As our friend Andrew pointed out, we can become very self-righteous in our enlightenment. And then we, then we go, oops. Because as soon as I recognize my self-righteousness, I realize that I'm not enlightened. So watch the arrogance, watch the conceit. The reality is, we think we're human, but 90% of our cells are inhuman. (laughs) So how do we even qualify ourselves as human beings when we're only 10% human? When you think about it, it makes you smile. <laughs> because it takes a lot of weight off of it. <laughs> like, oh, yes, all right. Yeah. Yeah, I knew there was something unique about me. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.